Hello and welcome to the third edition of Blind Squirrel Macro, the pod. This is your Blind Squirrel speaking. This podcast is a companion to our weekly newsletter, which you can find for free at blindsquirrelmacro.com. The letter usually contains graphics, charts, and a multitude of links that I may refer to in this pod. It also contains our portfolio update and a review of our Acorn trade ideas. Each week, I shall be recording an audio version of the feature article from my Monday morning note, which covers one or more current business or finance topics in under 20 minutes. I have not yet mastered audio editing software, and so I record it in a single take, so please forgive any stumbles. But before we start, a very quick message from Legal. Everything in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is categorically not investment advice. Before making any investment decisions, for heaven's sake, please don't listen to a cartoon rodent. Talk to a financial advisor. You'll be relieved to hear that this week is a Jackson Hole Symposium and BRICS Conference free edition of The Squirrel. Read all about that elsewhere. Last week, we discussed how we wanted to fade the prevailing China doom narrative. It has become a popular view, and we still want to do that, but we've now figured out how we're going to fund it. The title of this week's edition is A Top in the Indian Equity Moonshot. It was Mrs. Squirrel that called, attempt, called my attention to Chandrayaan 3 and its little moon rover Pragyan this week. To be honest, my eyes were on in NVIDIA, Johannesburg and the Teton Mountains of Wyoming, and I'd failed to notice that India was about to join the elite club of lunar exploration nations. Completely my bad. It's a phenomenal achievement, and the outburst of national pride in India is completely understandable. I like to think that PM Modi had a bit of fun in South Africa last week teasing Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov about soft landings. Modi also has a few bragging rights on the economic front. Based on a recent Reuters survey, India enjoyed annualised nominal GDP growth of almost 7.8% in Q2, a very different picture from that up in Russia. India's dramatic entry into the global space race is made even more impressive by the fact that it was achieved on a budget which at $75 million, that's million with an M, was the fraction of the size of a Hollywood budget for a typical movie about space exploration. Apparently, Christopher Nolan's Interstellar cost $165 million to make. But what does this achievement deliver to India beyond a short-term adrenaline shot for her nationalist leaders? One really hopes that the forward is not one of providing the planet with a low-cost version of SpaceX, although it looks like that process may be starting. Too much of India's recent economic history has been a function of a human capital cost arbitrage with the West. India's much-vaunted demographic edge has arguably been squandered on optimising, amplifying or providing a support function to intellectual property emanating from elsewhere in the world. For example, India's pharmaceutical industry is world-class, but largely focused on generics as opposed to new compounds. India's well-educated English-speaking army of technical graduates mainly provide middle and back-office support to the West's financial telecom and IT giants. India's higher education system has delivered numerous CEOs to Silicon Valley's global innovation leaders, but where is India's Google or Microsoft? After two, days, uh, two decades of impressive nominal growth, where is the legacy from that growth in terms of global champions, physical infrastructure or intellectual property? 
The latest growth narrative for India has revolved around an increasing role for the nation in global manufacturing supply chains as the West tries to wean itself off reliance on China. This is going to take some time, if indeed it happens at all at scale, and the squirrel certainly has its doubts. Russell Clark outlined some interesting thoughts on India in a couple of excellent notes that he published in January and April, and there are links to those in the notes. On top of a Nostradamus-like premonition of the Adani scandal, he pithily observed that he found it very hard to believe that US workers, having finally managed to get politicians to offer some protection against Chinese competition, will happily welcome Indian competition. This is a terrific point. And then you have the traditional problems of doing business in India. It's very tough indeed. The squirrel has his fair share of war stories involving Indian entrepreneurs from his past. Stories for another time. But Russell puts it very well when he says, A bullish investor could just say to me, just buy India's biggest and best businesses. Reliance Industries, HDFC Bank, ICICI Bank, Infosys, for example. The problem here is that this represents awesome survivor bias. For every Reliance Industries, there is a Reliance Infrastructure, sadly for investors controlled by the wrong brother. For every HDFC and ICICI, there's an ILFC, Yes Bank, or State Bank of India. And for every Infosys, there's a Satyam Computer Services. Note that Russell wrote this three weeks before Hindenburg Research published its short report on Hadani Group. What timing? India has created some of the world's wealthiest billionaires, often principally thanks to, shall we call it, effective government relations. Domestic success is almost always synonymous with proximity to political leadership, and the Adani success story and the group's connection with the Modi administration is almost a near-perfect example of that. But squirrel, I hear you say, what about India's amazing demographic destiny? On this one, I'm afraid I agree with Clock Tower Group's Marco Papic. In his view, the so-called demographic dividend of a young population is only useful if you can employ it gainfully. He saw youth unemployment playing a critical role in North Africa's Arab Spring, as an example. India's problem is that it cannot skip directly to becoming a knowledge and services-based economy. By the way, how does that feel now that ChatGPT is on the scene? A direct skip means missing out on the productivity gains that come with a proper industrialization process. Now Modi probably understands this, but can he, or will he, fix it? He's had nearly a decade in office so far with not much progress in terms of legacy-creating infrastructure. In the meantime, we're being encouraged to get excited about India's experiment with mimicking the worst of SoftBank and Silicon Valley's blitz-scaling e-commerce businesses or what I like to call selling dollar bills for 50 cents. The latest unicorn, and will someone please, please, please retire that word, is being, hype, being hyped is Zepto, the country's nth quick commerce or grocery delivery app. Zepto's latest financing round has a headline valuation of $1.4 billion, but I would check the small print of that convertible pref term sheet if I was one of the two 20-something co-founders. Apparently, they dropped out of Stanford to follow their passion. Such a cliché. As we also know, Instacart's S1 filing for its IPO last Friday, these words from Domino Pizza's CFO, Stuart Levy, in February 2021, ring in the squirrel's ears. In 60 years, we've never made a dollar delivering a pizza. We make money on the product, not on the delivery. 
so we're just not sure how others do it. Neither is the squirrel. As we discussed last week in From the China Syndrome to Trading Places, the sell-side narrative knives are out for China risk assets. And apparently it is Indian equities, home of the world's largest democracy and a future global manufacturing supply chain hub where global emerging market portfolio managers want to be. Broker upgrades and the promoting of emerging market ex-China funds has hit an absolute crescendo point. In fact, discretionary managers have been hiding out in Indian equity overweight positions for quite some time now. In Indian rupee terms, they can afford to feel pretty pleased with themselves. In fact, your typical EM manager's only real headache has been the fact that India represents less than 10% of their MSCI Emerging Market Index benchmark versus China at around 50%. Crowding into this trade would certainly account for a lot of the relative outperformance of Indian over Chinese equities of late. INDA, the iShares India ETF, has outstripped FXI, the iShares large-cap large China ETF, almost two times since the COVID lows. If you look at the share counts of the popular emerging markets ETF EEM versus the ETF that looks at EMX China, you can see that since COVID, the generalist has focused on non-China emerging market exposure. The focus appears to be positioning on the next China-style growth story. Well, that growth had better come pretty soon because you're sure as hell paying for it already. The median multiple is almost 3x for Indian versus Chinese large cap equities. This valuation premium has hardly come, come as, a resort, as a reward for stellar asset price performance in US dollar terms. And the FX and sovereign bond markets certainly don't agree. India's two-year note has settled back at a 500 basis point premium in yield to that of the Middle Kingdom, almost to a level of where it was 10 years ago, and the yuan renminbi cross rate has been one-way traffic in China's favour for the past 10 years, barring the past few months. In five years, Indian equities are capturing only about two-thirds of the observed GDP growth, up only 22% in US dollar terms for a compound average growth rate of barely over 4%. During the same period, the rupee has lost almost 20% versus the dollar, and it is Russian crude recycling, i.e. importing cheap crude and exporting refined product, that probably accounts for most of the FX stability that we've observed in the past year. But everyone remains so, so bearish on China. I know that I swore myself off adding, off, adding more China risk last week. There's plenty of direct and indirect exposure in my portfolio already, but I've changed my mind. Louis Garve certainly stiffened my resolve with his excellent piece, um, a rare release from behind the Gavakal firewall, which I've linked to in the note. Brent Donnelly of Spectrum Markets and the self-appointed chief investment officer of magazine Cover Capital has called it too, as has everybody's favorite, favorite cloud bear, Paolo Macro. Brent's weapon of choice is domestic China A shares via the ASHR ETF, Paolo is intimating that he might be looking at some high beta China tech via the KWEB, KWEB ETF. One of the loudest pronouncements in recent weeks has been the death of the Chinese consumer. To those voices, and a hat, hat tip to my old friend Oliver Belitho at Asia Long Short Specialist Capital for the prompt, I suggest that you peruse the latest earnings call transcripts from Hong Kong listed Anta Sports and Leaning. These 
China consumer bellwethers sound a lot more upbeat than what we've been hearing from US consumer and retail names recently. Needless to say, neither company felt the need to devote 20 minutes of their earnings call to the discussion of shrinkage. The squirrel was tempted to take a cheeky given the narrative swing at China consumption plays via the CHIQ ETF, but is concerned that that would not be a fair apples for apples comparison with iShares India, iShares India INDA in ETF. So we will stick with FXI, iShares China large cap ETF for our acorn. My friend Kevin Muir, aka the Macro Tourist, reminded me last week that pair trading represents twice the risk and half the PL. But in the interests of allowing the squirrel to break his resolution from last week, we will be financing our increased China exposure next week with an offsetting short position in Indian equities. Okay, squirrel, I hear you cry. I get that there's a valuation premium, but where is the catalyst? I'm going to give you two. One, the end of the energy dividend. Energy prices and the end of the Russia-Ukraine dividend. As you're aware, we think energy prices are about to re recommence their climb higher. India, a major net energy importer, has been, enjoying a, has been enjoying a windfall discount in energy import costs as a result of the West Russia sanctions regime. This is becoming increasingly difficult to, to sustain. The Jamestown Foundation estimates that India's discount on Russian crude has dropped from $30 a barrel last year to around $4 a barrel today. The Russia crude dividend since the Ukraine invasion may be about to become an inflationary headwind. Number two, El Nino and the monsoon. The Indian equity market's relationship with the summer monsoon is complex and not without its fair share of Indian equities folklore. However, the, the effects of El Nino are binding. As we've discussed elsewhere, we see continuing evidence that the 2023 southwest monsoon is failing. Agriculture accounts for 20% of Indian GDP, but more significantly, over half of the country's households are tied to the fortunes of the agricultural economy. We've written in the past about Indian export bans of agricultural products. Onions have now been added to an export ban list that already includes rice, sugar and wheat. Bloomberg's Joe Wiesenthal will, will, will be beside himself with excitement. Joe is seemingly obsessed with the Onion Futures Act of 1958, which banned paper trading in onions. Don't ask. The rainfall deficit in August is expected to be the lowest since records began in 1901. The rain shortfall is likely to impact rice, sugar and soybean yields. After an almost biblical seven good half, food inflation could be about to rear its ugly head. We suspect that this may be about to weigh on Indian equities. We will release the impl implementation strategy via email in a new ACORN report tomorrow. Otherwise, in the written report this week, we have a full ACORN review and portfolio update covering bonds, orange juice, energy and uranium, Goldman Sachs and private asset markets, and a sweet little trade in sugar. Sorry about that. Anyway, thanks for listening. Please find out more about The Squirrel at blindsquirrelmacro.com. You can also follow me on Twitter or X at, at squirrelmacro. I hope to catch you again here next week. Please, please leave us a rating and a review in your app if you feel like it. Thanks very much indeed.